0: We're continuing our series, Encounters with Jesus. On the repeated testimony of the Word of God, we should expect genuine personal encounters with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be uncomfortable, to be revealing, and to be life-changing. If that's not our experience, and it hasn't been our experience at any point then my prayer is that we will even today have a genuine personal encounter with Jesus as we read John chapter 4 together. John chapter 4 is another account of an encounter that Jesus had with someone so it's John's gospel chapter 4 we're going to read it together. If you have one of our our church Bibles, it's page 1083, 1083, John chapter 4, and we'll take our time to read it, and in the reading of God's Word, and as we see the interplay of the conversation between the Lord Jesus and the person he had intentionally come to meet with. God can do his work through his word for us today. Verse 3, John chapter 4 and verse 3. He, that's Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her woman, believe me. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that time believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Saviour of the world. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The journey from Judea to Galilee where Jesus had grown up and where at this stage the majority of his miracle working and his teaching was happening, that journey, the shortest route was through an area called Samaria. And it was populated by people known as Samaritans. But you know, the most devout Jews would actually take a longer route because the shortest route going through this region would mean that they would have to interact possibly with Samaritans and the Jews who were really devout and religious wouldn't go anywhere near Samaritans and we'll say more on that in, in a moment. But the text here, as we're given it, I, I, I mean, it tells us that John wasn't there John had gone in with the other disciples to go and buy food, so he wasn't listening in to this. So I was just wondering earlier in the week when I was preparing, where did all this detail come from? I, I just, allow me to do this, but I just imagine that after the incident had happened and they spent their two days with these people in Sychar, that John being one of the Lord's closest friends, Jesus was saying to John, this is what happened. It's amazing. And that's why John says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Because he understood that there was no accident in anything that Jesus did. Jesus was always doing the things that were pleasing to God his Father. He was always seeking to do the will of his Father. And that's what we've got later in the the section of the Bible we've read. And John says he had to go through Samaria. There was a purpose for Jesus that day in taking the shortest route. The sinless Son of God would go and in the end interact with people that the most religious Jews would not touch. Jesus is tired. Here's the reality of the humanity of the Lord. He's tired. So it seems that he doesn't have the strength even to make it into the town the disciples go off to buy food and he sits there wearied from the journey by the well and it's the middle of the day the sixth hour my version of the bible is helping us to understand that the jews counted their days a little differently than we do so their day began at 6 a.m so here was the sixth hour it's about the sixth hour it's the hottest well, becoming the hottest part of the day the sun at its height and jesus is sitting there by a well And Jesus has nothing to get any of the water. Such humanity. But then it tells us that a woman from the town comes out. Sychar is the name of the town and it describes her as a woman from Samaria. So she's a Samaritan. Verse 9 says a Samaritan woman. So it repeats for us. Who this woman is, what her background is, what her heritage is, who she's known as. We don't get her name. In this incident we're not to bother with her name. It's just to see that her upbringing, her heritage and all that goes with that was going to be superseded by what Jesus was going to do. Maybe she's coming out of urgent necessity but it wasn't normal For women to travel outside of the town to go and get water from a well at the hottest time of the day because it was dangerous and it was a waste of energy it could have been for that reason but most who have spent time with this have said that because of what we learn about the woman through the lord jesus's conversation with her maybe gives us an indication why she came at that time normally the woman would have gone out together for security but also for help early in the morning because they would go and gather the, their water together and because quite often in the morning the local shepherds would be there too because they would be gathering water or collecting water for their flock so the burly men would have been there to have helped a little bit with uh, what the women were there to do and there was security in that. A woman was often at risk. In society, in those days, on her own. So, this is something peculiar that she's coming out at midday on her own, and it's probably because she's ostracized from society. Not only is she a Samaritan, I'm going to say why this is important in a moment, but even amongst her own, the hint is that she's on the periphery of society. She, she's been rejected by her own. We know this, don't we? We all know this to some degree, that there are some situations and groups of people that we fit with and others that we don't. That there is, because maybe by virtue of our birth and our heritage, beliefs, color of our skin, gender. We're excluded from things and it's painful. And this woman is excluded from a lot and it must have been painful for her. It says that uh, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's why the woman was so shocked when Jesus, who's sitting there, asks her for a drink. Give me a drink. Here is the one who is the creator of all things, and she doesn't know that yet. We do, with hindsight, saying, give me a drink. And she's just aghast. It's shocking. Why? Let me tell you about the matter of Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be a half-breed bunch. Back in their history, the northern tribes of Israel had been overrun by the Assyrians and Most of their people had been pushed out, forced to live somewhere else. And for all the the cities and the towns that were left, the Assyrians would then bring in other captives from other places to populate them. It was forced movement of peoples, taking them from their homelands and putting them somewhere else. So as the northern Jewish people were taken away somewhere else, then they would take whoever had been displaced from there and bring them in. But there were some Jews that would have remained. And because of circumstances, then, there was intermarriage between them. And God had said in his law that the Jewish people were to marry amongst themselves. So they were considered half-breeds, the Samaritans. But more than that, they were considered such irreligious people. They had religion, but according to the Jews, it was such a mess of a religion that they wouldn't have nothing to do with them. Because those people from the other nations came with their pagan gods. And there was the worship of Baal that had already been prevalent in the northern areas of Israel at that time. And that was all mixed in with the worship of Yahweh, the Jews' God, if we can say that. It was a mix of something. And it wasn't right. It was really contrary to what God demands of us. You shall have no other gods before me, he says in his law. But here was a people because of circumstances forced together different people groups mixing and the mess that was the result was this mess of religion and race and all sorts that goes with that and for that reason the most devout of Jews would steer clear of that whole area because to interact with somebody from Samaria well, the Samaritan people would actually have been something they would have considered a defiling thing. Would have made them dirty. Would have affected their purity before God. And here we have the sinless son of God who has made it his purpose to come and sit by that well. Tired out, needing a drink. And a woman comes out and he speaks with her. And she's shocked. She not only shocked that he would talk with a Samaritan but she shocked that he would interact with her, a woman it was societal practice then that a man would not speak to another woman unless the woman's husband was present so it's almost like you spoke to the woman through the husband that makes for all sorts of challenges in society doesn't it you imagine it but here was Jesus addressing directly this woman who had come who was considered by the Jews to be a half-breed and all mixed up with her religion don't touch them with a barge pole and also she's a woman and here is the Lord Jesus and he breaks through all of that situation that persists the hatred that is there between peoples because of the circumstances of history and the mixing of situations of religions and so on all of that and also this issue about gender that was there these are all evidences of sin it all comes together in this chapter and no wonder John spends so much time under the authority of the Holy Spirit to give us this and cause us to stop and think about it for as long as he does Just consider the mess that sin brings and has brought to this world. Marginalization, fear. Outcast. Mixed up. Not knowing what is right and what is not right. Frightening situation and we're all there. God tells us in his word that we're all sinners. We're no better than this woman in her circumstances before a holy and righteous God. None of us. So Jesus is making a point that really we have to be very careful when we start to judge other people by our own standards or our interpretation of standards that may be given by a religion. He breaks through it all and gets to the heart of the situation. And that's when it becomes personal. So the situation that persists because of racial tension, because of religious tension, because of even gender tension, if I can say that, Jesus bursts through it all. She effectively says, I think, with sarcasm, you, a Jew, are asking me for a drink, Samaritan woman. You Jews, you don't have anything to do with this until you're absolutely in need of something. You want a drink? And you're asking me. Maybe I'm putting too much into that. But I, I, I get the sense of it there. I'm just trying to get us there to be with the woman. Because in this we're all with her. And the response. Whenever a kindness of such a magnitude is shown to us. In all of our sinful mix up. Sometimes our reaction is one of. Oh, no way. It's an anger reaction. Do you have that sometimes? When something comes that is the beginning of something far greater than what it is that you have now. Jesus' response was to challenge her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, This is amazing how quickly Jesus wants to get to the heart of the situation with this person. And he wants to do it with us too. He asks for a drink, a physical thing. He gets the response which I think reveals the pain that this woman has in her circumstances. And then he drives it further and he says, look, I'm here. And if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who is speaking with you, you would have asked me. Yes, never. What? You can see her response, of course. The text here, the words that the Lord Jesus uses, tell us that he then goes on to, to speak about the, the water being equated with the living water, being equated with eternal life. He's starting to reveal that through himself and in himself, there is a means to have something greater than the experience of life that we might have right now. But do you get her sarcasm again in verse eleven and twelve? She says, You don't have anything to draw with. This well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, she goes back to a matter of heritage there. Sychar was near Shechem, and it was the only bit of land that Jacob had as a possession in this area. It's where he and Joseph was buried, and so on. So there was a the woman takes it back and says look we've all come from a common ancestor here despite all of our differences are you greater than jacob who's the one who gave us this well and dug it now the well's about 100 feet deep so if you didn't have the right equipment you're not getting anything out of that well so the woman has come with what she needs and jesus for that reason has asked her for a drink you don't have anything to draw with but jesus gets through, he's pushing and pushing. He says, in a sense, open your eyes, move beyond the physical, that which is right in front of you, and let's get to your heart. Because in verses 13 and 14, he says, the water that I will give will become, in the person that receives it, a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. That's Jesus' response. The woman, of course, just like us, is so constrained by the physical reality that we exist in, but there was a whole spiritual reality too. We know that in ourselves. We're not just uh, molecules and atoms and a physical thing. Despite what the world will tell us, there is something other about us too. And that's inexplicable because it's of God. And Jesus is wanting to demonstrate to this woman and to us Get through the things of the physical where it's all so messed up so often. By what society will say and what society will force on you. Let's get to your heart. Because from your heart there can be a flow of water that's called eternal life. Let's get to that. The woman's still thinking physically, though. She says, in a sense, verse fifteen, it would be really good not to come back here and have to keep getting water. It would save me a whole load of hassle. And uh, I really am sick of getting thirsty all the time. You can see that she's really struggling with it, and so might we be. And uh, Jesus then comes and gets really to the heart of the issue. Wants to expose. And follow me on this one. She he wants to expose her sin and the sin of everybody around her. So it's to all of us. Why am I saying this? I've been holding back on this uh, for a bit. He says to her, Go and hold your go, go and call your husband and come. <clears throat> the woman replies very honestly because Jesus says your reply is true. I have no husband. Jesus then reveals that he knows all about her. You're right in saying that. You have no husband. You've had five. And the person you're with now is not your husband. Whoa. Now that addresses sin in her own life. But also sin in others too. And it gives us a big indicator as to why she was a social outcast amongst her own people. If she's been married and then divorced, and married and divorced, and married and divorced, and married and divorced, and married and divorced, I've said that five times, it sounds a lot. What a painful thing for a woman to go through because in this society, a woman was married to a man. And it would have been the case that if a man considered something untoward about her, or got dissatisfied, even among Samaritans, would find a reason to get rid. It might be because she had no children, we're not told that, but that could be a prime factor. He had passed from one to another, treated shamefully, most likely, and now it might be the case that she's with somebody And she shouldn't be in that relationship, but she's longing for some sort of security somewhere with a man. Does that not just expose the sin of her own situation and the sin of everybody around her? Jesus, yes, has to get at our sin and point to us as being sinners in a sinful system. He has to get at that. But he's also getting at the system all around verse 18 i think has hit me as probably one of the most important things in the whole text when jesus says what you have said is true a personal encounter with jesus that is genuine will be uncomfortable (laughs) this is getting uncomfortable for her it's uncomfortable for us talking about it it's revealing She's having her life exposed to her, things that she would prefer not to speak about, things that have meant that she has to live in the periphery of society because she's considered one of those women. That shows a hatred on the part of the people who have that attitude and such pain for her in it. But Jesus wants us to get to a point where life changes. And for that to be the case, there has to be absolute honesty with God. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all else, desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We can't trust our hearts. Jesus, the Son of God, knows our hearts. And he knows that the moment at which we become honest with him, he then is the one who fills the void that we suddenly see our lives are. He comes and says, I'll be everything for you. If you knew the gift of God he himself is the gift but he is the means of the gift of God which is eternal life coming to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Should not perish and have eternal life. That's what God wants for us. Now to get to that state of believing it means that our hearts have to be exposed for what they are, which is that they have nothing that can ever save us, ourselves. In all of the brokenness of our sin and the sin of a situation in which we live, we really are looking for something that can come from outside of that system that can bring a satisfaction and a joy and something for eternity that nothing in the system can bring. Jesus says... He's that. I'm driving this one again. What you have said is true. He's there with her. She's been honest. Because she's starting to think, whoa, there's something here. I perceive you're a prophet. Now she's still nervous about it. And she takes it then into a religious um, discussion and debate about where people should worship and such like. But notice what Jesus says to her. He's very blunt. But it's loving too. Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. The woman's true about her circumstances, but she's still relying somewhat on her racial association and her religious associations to be okay. Do you see it? She hasn't yet let go of that. And Jesus gets right to it and says, look, you Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. It's a mess. All of the things that have been brought together Mean that you don't really know what it is that you're worshipping. You're just worshipping because it's a thing that people have done. Now, we're there in society. And you might not want to call it religion. You can call it secularism. It's because everybody else does it. And it's so mixed up, then we just go with it. And we worship what we don't know. And that affects us as Christians as much as those who are not. Jesus is wanting to come in and say, be honest with your own situation and I can come in because salvation is from the Jews. That could not be denied because God thousands of years before had promised through Abraham that salvation would come to the world through one of his descendants and here it is in the flesh Jesus himself. (coughs) But you see something wonderful? We see that God is the one who is active to save us. Jesus takes this woman, and we don't have time to spend on this as I would wish, but he says to her, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What people? He calls them true worshippers who worship the Father in spirit. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He says, you've got it all wrong. Salvation is from the Jews. The Jews haven't got it right either. The Father is seeking true worshippers. And what does a true worshipper look like? Somebody who worships the Father in spirit and truth. Moves beyond the physical to the, the spiritual and gets to the truth of things with God. That's where this woman is being taken, beyond the physical, into contemplating the spiritual, being taken from hiding her situation as best she can to being honest about it, getting to the truth, and then before God, saying, God, thank you for coming and bursting into this. God is the one who seeks the worshipers. You know, most of the world's religions People are seeking after their experience of God. <clears throat> That's the wrong way right. That's why Christianity stands in stark contrast to any other ideology in the world today. Because Christianity at its heart is God coming for worshippers. It's not us seeking God, though that is there. There's that within us that wants to worship something. But because we're sinners, our worship is twisted towards other things that will never satisfy, away from God. But God comes and in the person of Jesus has stepped in to bring us to himself. God is working for his glory. What is implicit in the Lord's words here? The Father is seeking worshippers who worship him in spirit and truth. He wants a people who will worship him. Now, there's nothing selfish in that because you can't use that word with God. Because all that God does is good. There is nothing selfish. We struggle with this because we naturally are selfish. God, in wanting a people to worship him, is doing what God must do. And if people are not worshipping him and cannot because of their brokenness, God steps in. And he reveals himself in the person of Jesus to them. And they're transformed by his grace, by his mercy, to be worshippers. A true worshipper, a spiritual worshipper, is someone who is prepared to open their heart to God, to be honest before God and to allow God to transform and empower them to life change that gives all the glory to God. If your Christianity is about you always seeking after God and wanting more of him, You're right, but you're not right. You're wanting that because you know that in it, God takes all the glory. It's not a selfish pursuit of God. It's a pursuit of God that is for his glory. The Lord Jesus, of course, has come to bring untold blessing and joy to sinners who are dissatisfied with the experience of life. The woman's first response is, What's in this for me? What's in this for me? You get it there. Things change when we understand God to be who He is and we say, What's in this for God? That completely turns your life around. Failure to do what we should with what God grants to us in his grace is an affront to God. What does this woman do at the end? Jesus breaks through. He's spoken to her of this living water that she's longing for, this eternal life. Uh, She gets to the point of saying that we're looking for Messiah He'll have all the answers. Yes, he does have all the answers. The one that God has promised. I am him. I've got all the answers that you need. What's her response at the end of it? It says she leaves her water pot and she goes into the town. What has she got? I believe she's suddenly got what it is that Jesus was wanting to give her all on, which was the deepest of satisfaction that transcends everything in her life. Why is it important to see that she leaves a water pot behind? Because she's gone beyond the physical. She's moved on. Why is it important to see that she runs back into the town and talks to the people? It's because we're surmising and suggesting quite strongly on the basis of what we have that she's an outcast. But she goes to them. She says, I've just met a man. He knows everything about me. Can this really be the Messiah? And the people come out. Jesus has given to her something so valuable that she cannot keep it to herself. It transcends everything in her life. All of the struggle, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the feelings of dissatisfaction. All of that which has just been so hard for her in her life. She realises it's not just for her, but for the society of that town. This is going to transform it. And the result is something really quite awkward for the disciples, I think. They spend two days there. you imagine it? A devout Jew (laughs) spending another two days there. But they've come to learn through this as well, what Jesus was doing when he had to pass through Samaria. And it says at the end of it that many of those people believed in him. Not just because of what they heard from the woman, but because they come out and they'd heard the teaching of Jesus and spent two days with him. (coughs) They believed. I said it's an affront to God when we realize that he has worked to bring us to himself that we might worship him for his glory. And he gives us all of the benefits that are associated with that. And we say, right, I've got it sorted. That's just selfish. Is that salvation? It doesn't just touch us. It should touch society too. And that means it will be shared with others. So, summary. Jesus meets us right where we are. And it's uncomfortable. Jesus meets us right where we are. With the intention of taking us beyond our sin and its associated circumstances and insecurities. And that means revealing the state of our hearts. And then we're in a predicament because we realise we've nothing. But Jesus meets us right where we are with the intention of taking us beyond our sin and its associated circumstances by revealing himself to be the only saviour who can satisfy. And this is life changing. We have come to know that this one is the saviour of the world. Let's pray.